Hi there, this is Dan Delta Collins. You're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs is broadcast live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time on twitch.tv slash wanderingdms and also youtube.com slash wanderingdms. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi everyone, welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul. And I'm Dan, and on this episode of Wandering DMs, we have a very special guest, Mr. Jason Morningstar, who is the award-winning designer of games like Fiasco and the Grey Ranks, and now his new game this year, Desperation. We'll be talking about all that today. Jason, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thanks, Dan. I'm so glad to be here. This is awesome. We, as, as we said before the show, we've wanted Jason on for a long time, and we're big fans of uh, all the games that he does at Bully Pulpit Games, particularly Fiasco, which, which we have played a couple times on the air here, including uh, for uh, Paul's birthday the, this past 4th of July. <laughs> but, uh, you know, principally, we're, we're interested in your, the, your game that just came out a couple months ago, uh, Jason, Desperation. And, you know, you're hugely prolific. Like, honestly, if I look at the list of games that you write, and and they're 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 very different, and it seems like you come out with like a game a year. And I'm personally like really kind of overwhelmed by what your output is like. So maybe you can give our viewers the 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 uh, the mile high view about what Desperation is now. Yeah, I'd be glad to. Um, so Desperation is a uh, it's a card driven tabletop uh, storytelling or role playing game uh, that. Uh, allows you to tell the story about people in very desperate straits. So uh, the, the core game comes with two uh, situations that are lightly tied together. Both of them take place in 1888. One of them is about a blizzard in Kansas, and one of them is about a shipwreck in Alaska. Uh, and the, the cool thing about desperation, in, in my mind, the thing that really fired my imagination and got me excited about it is that you get to tell this story um, and things are going to happen. Uh, if you've played a game like For the Queen, uh, you know that you're gradually revealing new information on cards as, as the game proceeds. Uh, so things are going to happen. Uh, and in, in Desperation, they're usually pretty bad things. Um, but the really exciting part, and that's a little different from most games, is that uh, whereas most, most games uh, will... In, in desperation, the cool thing is that uh, you don't decide what happens; you decide who is who it happens to. So, for example, a, a prompt in uh, in one of the two playsets is uh, that somebody snaps in the middle of this uh, this blizzard and burns down the only orchard in town, uh, which somebody has spent twenty years laboriously growing. They just burn it all down, uh, and the game doesn't tell you who; it just tells you what happens. So you get a card that says, I burned the orchard down. Uh, I felt warm for five minutes and it was worth it. Uh, and you, you get to look at the universe of possibility, which are the characters that are uh, in play, that are still alive, and uh, decide who, who said that. Was it the, the guy who spent 20 years building the orchard? Was it somebody else? Uh, and the, the, the thing that this does, I don't want to get too weird about it, but it relies on our innate uh, sense of apophenia, which is uh, uh, the sort of natural human ability to create and match patterns. Uh, so in play, it feels like magic. 
when that when that card turns up and you have to say in the first person, I burned down the orchard, you know, like, you know, and everybody at the table knows exactly who did it, even though the card itself doesn't give you any any guidance. You've slowly been creating this narrative over the last hour or so. And so when something like that happens, you just know, and it's a beautiful feeling. It's a really fun way to play. So crazy. I, I, I'm, I'm curious with, with a name like Desperation, and you talk about how like uh, terrible things happen. Uh, is, is the game intended to play in like a single session and then just it all collapses in misery? Or um, is it something we, we will play over many sessions? Is there campaign play? Uh, what's, yeah, there's what's, no... What's Sure. Yeah. There's there's no campaign play here. Uh, each of these situations is a is pretty much a one shot, um, mm -hmm. and uh, at the end of it, you're going to find out sort of what happens to these people, who lives and who dies, um, and the, the game is sort of mechanically tuned so that the chances of uh, everybody dying are pretty low. The chances of a lot of people living are also very low. Usually, there'll be one or two or three survivors at the end of it, uh, and that's really fun too because as the game goes on the pool from which to choose who these awful things happen to or who chooses to do these awful things gets smaller and smaller and you learn more about these people as you go. Uh, so yeah, uh, there's a lot of replay value even though the, the arc is predefined. It's going to be a shipwreck, yeah. right? Yeah, I want, uh, I want to hear more about the, the replayability. That's Because that's, that's the, the other question that immediately jumped into my mind is like with these, you know, kind of uh, well-defined setting and, and prompts that the cards are giving, I mean, I'm sure that the randomness of the of the shuffle, I'm sure, changes things. But like, what what else? What other replayability elements are we going to see? It does, yeah. So so the events are going to occur in different orders. Different events are going to occur based on how you tune the deck prior to play, and there's a procedure for that. Uh, and then it's going to be different because you're in a different time and place. You're playing with different people. So like uh, in the, the Isabel, which is the the shipwreck one. There's a let's see. Here's a card. Here's uh, this is Lila's Towns. She is a woman who's on the ship, right? This is a beautiful art by Brennan Race. So Lila's Towns is on the ship because she's a missionary heading uh, to uh, Alaska to convert the fishermen. Uh, and it's very clear from Lila's background that uh, she's a particular kind of person, but that doesn't mean anything until she hits the table, right? Uh, and uh, someone's going to interpret that in an interesting way. And if Lila's is one of the last four survivors, and at a certain point, somebody uh, gets a card that says, uh, for example, uh, I had to put someone out of their misery. Uh, I, I cared for them too much to let them suffer, right? Um, and there is a card that's kind of like that. Uh, you might look at Lilas and be like, well, we didn't think that you were that kind of person, but you totally are. Um, or, it, or it might be, depending on the, who's playing, someone might be like, well, hell yeah, of course it's Lilas. Or she would never do it. It can't be her. Right. Uh, so like the, these characters will, they have some framework to them. She's always a missionary on this boat, uh, but how that gets interpreted is going to change depending on the set, the, the setting you're playing in, who you're playing with uh, and the choices that you all make. So it's different every time. And part of the fun of replaying it is seeing these same familiar characters and then finding out how they, they're going to be interpreted differently every time you play. Do, do players actively take on the roles and, and role play these specific characters, or is it more a feeling of like a writer's room where we're all like co-narrating a story about, about all these characters? The game doesn't specify, which is also, uh, I think, a strength because there are groups, there are groups for whom uh, writer's room is the exact right approach. 
uh, where when it's your turn, you'll reveal a card and be like, Holmes is on the deck and he's wondering about whether he's going to get home or not. And there's other groups who are going to really lean in uh, and, and be like, okay, uh, clearly this is Holmes and uh, I'm on the deck and I'm crying because I don't think I'm going to make it home. And, and the, those two approaches are totally legit. Uh, and different groups will interpret them differently. And maybe within the same, uh, the same session of play, they will, they will be different. Sometimes someone will be so good at playing Holmes that everyone will be like, yeah, you're Holmes. Whenever, whenever Holmes comes up, you're going to be that. This is Holmes, by the way. Uh, poor Holmes. He's, he's in trouble. Uh, and, and sometimes, uh, you know, you'll divide the characters up uh, in a very traditional way. Uh, mm -hmm. But the game also allows for that lack of monogamy, where anybody can be anybody. Um, and certainly, uh, nobody gets to, to say, no, don't do that to my dude. Because it just the game won't support that. Your dude is going to suffer, and that's just part of the <laughs> part of the way the game goes. I've played it with people who've never role played before, and it works very, very well. And they're much more likely to to take a, a sort of a writer's room approach. And I've played it with hardcore role players who just dive in and chew the scenery, and they're both really fun. That's fascinating. You know, one thing I was I was wondering about. I, I think I saw some pro promotional text for desperation that it said it's survival horror quite likely without the survival part mm -hmm. um and if um if if people are in the mode of uh role playing one single character and there's a fairly high body count uh are, are play in that particular mode are players being removed the, from the game because there's a mm -hmm. lot of games that really go out of their way to avoid that nowadays um, is that happening in that mode of desperation, or is there a way that the players are still involved? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the example I gave where someone where the, the table is like your homes, the way you played him was so great. We only want to see you be homes from the, from now on. Um, Holmes is going to die, right? Holmes is going to get eaten by a shark. He's going to get carved up and become dinner, or whatever. Something bad's going to happen to Holmes. And when that does, uh, the, the the guy who was playing Holmes is also playing other characters. There's between nine and eleven that are in play at any time, so so there's no there's no strict character monogamy uh, because there's all these different moving parts, these different people that you need to manage, um, and so if if the guy that you loved perishes, then you're just going to keep playing, and you'll you'll be other people as well. Yeah, nobody's ever out. Got it. You know, as you know, predominantly, Paul, you know, me and Paul are, are old school uh, gamers, particularly Dungeons and Dragons, obviously. And there have been times in the past when we, we were playing together and, you know, with me as DM. And yeah, Paul's character was exterminated really, really early uh, mm -hmm. in a game. And I, I ejected Paul from the table for an hour or two. <laughs> and awesome. I felt, right. And I felt really bad about it. Right. At, you know, really in, in retrospect, I'm like, yeah, in retrospect, I'm like, that was that was really kind of awful. And I wish that I'd been quicker on my feet about finding a way to bring Paul back into the game. But that's how a lot of old school games, you know, played. Yeah. It's really, it was easy for us to mis accidentally step into that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I think it's, uh, your instincts are good to think, well, you know, let's find a way. Let's, there must be a higher link Paul can play. Maybe there's a, you know, a friendly goblin around the next corner or just some way to keep him engaged, right? Maybe he can be the talking sword, whatever the, the situation is um, just to keep the players you know, engaged. But. A lot of the time, the dilemma is keeping Paul away from being the talking sword. He doesn't <laughs> need a whole lot of extra motivation to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't, don't, don't uh, tempt me I mean, with a good time. My, 
my 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 favorite story of of that exact kind of thing coming up in game is where a character got uh, beheaded in a game, a, a horror game that we were playing, and another character, as a result, started uh, developing hallucinations and believed that the head was talking to them. And so, so well, you, you just keep rolling the head, right? But only I can hear you. It's like solid. I love stuff like that. I love it. Love it. Yeah, that's very <laughs> this is very good. Uh, uh, yes. So I guess you so can think just, of like, me... yeah. Oh, just to, to answer that question, it's like Fiasco. Like your character might die in Fiasco, but you're still playing. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Let me let me ask an important. I have not seen a character. character I will say I have not seen a character die in a play of Fiasco yet. That's actually news yeah. to me that that's actually permitted. Oh, that's, totally. That's, yeah. Um, yeah, okay. Dan. I think we have we've played a bunch of games uh, with a, a friend of ours who. Um, house rules a couple of things, and I think that actually one of her house rules is you you can be maimed, you can be horribly mutilated, but you cannot okay. die. Okay. Um, okay, that's definitely a house rule. Um, which is and I challenge you that yeah. next time you play, kill your character in the first scene. <laughs> um, yeah, the game absolutely accommodates it, and you can keep rolling. You can have flashbacks. Uh, there's all kinds that's, of ways to handle it. That's wonderful. Wow. Yeah. Okay, that's, I accept. Next time we play, Dan, we're killing you. First scene. Nice. You're <laughs> That seems that a, seems in my wheelhouse. Like Dan, your scene will be about your character. That's all it says. They have to be about your character, right? So yep. Yep. it doesn't say your character has to be alive. Yeah, yeah, great. great. All right. Well, once again, another point. Of... <laughs> Dan has a history also of playing many characters. He seems like he's incapable of having a single character without like his brother or his his nephew or his his uh, angry lit going on. Um. I want to ask, sorry, before we go too far down this road, Jason, I want to ask something that I think is probably very important to all our viewers, which is, can they still get it? Uh, desperation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah. we crowdfunded it, right? We crowdfunded mm -hmm. it on GameFound, uh, and uh, we're going to be opening up our pledge manager next week, which means uh, backers will give us the shipping uh, info, and people who did miss the campaign will be able to jump on board. So, yes, you will be able to get it. Um, uh, just in terms of where this game is in the life cycle of games, uh, we're waiting on our print proofs. We're going to see them, sign off on those, uh, get production started. Uh, so the goal and our anticipation is that we're shipping it to backers in spring 2023, and it'll be in retail shortly after that. So yes, you can absolutely get it uh, either by jumping on uh, now or by waiting for it to show up in retail. Yeah. Excellent. Viewers, if you and we uh, have a, are a, watching this a, after a the fact, hopefully. Oh, you've already got it. Dan's already got it. Yeah, there, yeah there's a link <laughs> on the YouTube description uh, that'll be in our archive right now. You can see it right awesome. now. And it's basically go to uh, bullypulpitgames.com slash desperation, I think is what it is. Yeah, it's bpglink.com slash desperation. But go to the Bully Public Games website and you'll be able to find it. Uh, sorry, yeah, no, thanks, no, I totally derailed the conversation, but I do wanted to make sure that we got that. No, that's okay. Yeah, I'm super excited about Desperation. I think it's an awesome game. Uh, people who play it really love it, and uh, it's a nice palate cleanser uh, in, in the sense that it's a one-shot thing that's going to be very memorable. You're going to be talking about the choices that you made. Every card is a surprise, a horrible surprise, uh, super dark uh, in a fun way. So, yeah. Let me ask you a question about it. Go ahead, no, no, I'm cutting you off, Dan. I am. <laughs> okay. You know, we're probably about to ask the same question, so just, yeah. just go ahead, okay. and it's probably my Maybe. question. Um, so the thing I noticed about Desperation, of course, is there are two decks with two different storylines in it. Right. Are we going to see more? 
Oh, it's going to depend on how well it does. Uh, <laughs> yes, I've got, I have more written. I'm ready to go. I've got some really fun uh, things to do with that engine uh, that don't necessarily uh, involve a bunch of people dying in sadness in the past. Uh, it's a cool engine. It does interesting things. Uh, so yes, uh, if people like it and they want to see more, I'm ready to meet that need. And I would very much like to, uh, but it depends a lot on our ability to sell it. So we'll see. Fantastic. Fantastic. Dan, was that your question? It was, it, it was, it was a secondary question. Actually, that would have been my second question. Um, yeah. uh, the, the, my primary question was, uh, Jason, tonally, with these two scenarios in particular, what do you, what do you see as the tone of play at most tables? Like, because I, I can see this as you just said, it's really, you know, dark, uh, kind of based on real life events. So I can see some people expecting to play it like really dark horror. Uh, you know, I, maybe role players like really getting into that deeply. And then I think I, I know a lot of people that I play with where this would actually spiral into broad comedy and we'd wind up mm -hmm. laughing at the overwhelming ridiculousness of the of people's demises. What do you see more commonly or is there a mix? It's it's a uh, that's a great comment and uh, the game accommodates both modes quite well and there are tables where people are like I, I'm just I do not have the capacity to deal with the grim darkness of this let's let's play it for laughs and it works fine it works well um, however I will say uh, that I wrote the game in a way that that gently steers you back towards the seriousness of it so. Uh, I think if you just uh, come at it with an empty mind just to see what happens, you're going to have a pretty intense game uh, because the, the, just the text of the cards and the art are pushing you in the direction of that. Uh, so they both work and they're fine. And honestly, when I play with my local crew who've played together for many, many years, there's always laughter and it's, there's always moments of macabre humor to it. Uh, so like that's, it's a um, it's a totally viable way to play the games. Cool, cool. I think that makes sense to me. Uh, I think there was a, a comment I heard, I think, from Peter Adkison 20 years ago that the uh, the, the, the comedy is going to come from the people at the table no matter what you do, and you don't yeah. have to go yeah. out of your way injecting it into the written work to get comedy at the table. The, the, the difficulty is getting the, the the drama and the pathos in the in the written work to, to pull it in that direction. So that makes a lot of sense to me personally. Yeah, I feel that way too. And uh, I've played with Peter, and uh, we our game was it was leavened with humor, but it was pretty serious. So yeah, yeah, I think that's true. And like making a comedy game is hard, and making a comedy game by trying to be funny is a fool's errand. Yeah. There you go. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Ironically. I mean, it feels like in that in that vein, it has a fair amount in common with uh, Fiasco, frankly. Although maybe Fiasco is a leaning a little harder towards comedy. I I do feel like if you read Fiasco, there's nothing like it's not it's not hit you over the head. This is comedy. But uh, on the other hand, I always whenever I'm um, whenever I'm uh, suggesting Fiasco to new players who have never played it before, I always mention how I've seen it played at many game conventions and always. It is the loudest, most raucous table in the room. Like, <laughs> always. <laughs> it's true. That's very true. Yeah, it, uh, it, it lends itself well to, to that broad comedy, right? And I think that when you're, um, when you're playing with strangers, you know, that's a very safe place to go. And it since it welcomes it, then, then that's what you often see. 
I just I will point out that fiasco uh, can accommodate other tones as well. And I always encourage people who are excited about the game and have played it a lot to, to challenge themselves, much like I challenged you earlier, Dan, to kill yourself uh, to play. Uh, wait, that didn't come out right. Uh, to, to kill your character in the first scene, Dan. We're friends here. We love each other. Uh, but you can play it with different tones. Like you can play a, a, my favorite mode of fiasco is to play melancholy fiasco. Uh, where it's like a Daniel Woodrell novel where everybody's just trying to get by and it's just not working out for anybody. Um, and, and you play for low stakes, you play for that sort of rich emotional pathos, and you don't play for, like, I'm shooting a hooker in the leg. Like, that's not on the table. Uh, and I feel that that is a fun way to play if, if you're experienced with the game and you're with people that you trust and love. Mm -hmm. So just throwing it out there. If you're a fiasco fan, try Melancholy. You'll love it. That's great. You know, it's funny because usually, like, among the top pitches of, like, what fiasco is like, usually, like, Fargo comes out first. Um, sure, yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and it's funny because the last time when, when Paul pulled it out uh, uh, last month to play, I had just watched um, uh, Burn After Reading, which, which mm -hmm. I feel is a very similar tonal movie that also stars Francis McDormand, actually. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe it's me, but like, when I think about Fargo, I don't think about comedy at all, but, uh, it feels like really hard. Like I think of one or two or three scenes that are really horrible, uh, particularly for some reason, like the scene with Bill Macy erasing, uh, uh, crappy pencil marks on the form that he's trying to fraudulently submit is like one of the most existentially horrible scenes I've ever seen in a movie, frankly. Um, and you know, so maybe it's me because I do go, I do go to to a horror movie in a theater once in a while, and the theater erupts in laughter, and I don't get it. I, I literally am just like, I don't see anything that just happened that's even remotely comical whatsoever. Um, and so there, you know, different audience, different audience uh, members are going to have different takes on things, and I, all the all the um, illusions that that fiasco has feels really horrible to me and I'm, I'm sometimes surprised that it can spin into a into a comedy direction at all yeah we need to play together uh i, I feel that way too quite often um and uh yeah i think it's important to know your table and to you know play in a way that's uh, respectful uh and as safe as you can make it for everybody uh and sometimes mm -hmm. the answer to that is cartoonish silliness and that's fine um in improv, we talk about monkeys on the moon, uh, which is a scene that just explodes into absolute chaos. And Fiasco can go there. And often uh, people will come to me and say, I played your game and it was so fun. We did this and this. And, and in my mind, I'm thinking, well, that's, that's ice cream for breakfast. Okay, you, you know, you, you had a good time being as silly as you possibly could. Um, and what I wanna say is next time, rein that in, you know, find the, find the humanity in these characters. Uh, find the core of their, like, why are they so sad? Why are they so desperate? And then, you know, like, think about that. See where that takes you. It'll take you to a different place. It'll also be very satisfying. I would like to talk about our uh, the, our mutual experiences in uh, theater and improv. So a sure. uh, month or two or three back, we had on Karen Twelves, who was talking about her, uh, her, the second edition of her book, Improv for Gamers, which I love to death. And just like, we, like I said to Jason just before the show started, I just coincidentally was taking 
my first couple of improv classes when we had Karen on. And basically, her book was my Bible. So I would, I would <laughs> read the book and I'd go into class and that's what happened. I'd read the next chapter and that was the next class and just magically happened. And one thing I noticed with uh, playing Fiasco last month is that the categories of the cards are almost exactly the main categories that Karen is emphasizing in her book. Like, her, like Karen's book actually ends with, now you're ready for an actual improv scene, but don't forget these four bullets, uh, interesting deep characters, good relationships, uh, in, you know, well-developed locations and uh, specific uh, object work. And that's almost exactly the four categories of the cards in yeah, the current yeah. fiasco set. Was that yeah. conscious, Jason? Were you specifically taking these improv ideas, I'm going to make a game around, or, or did that develop in a different way? I think it was, it was somewhat organic, but that was like running through my bloodstream at the time. So it's not surprising that, that um, those concepts manifested themselves uh, that way. I'd seen it work, right? Like I'd been taking improv classes. I've been performing, um, and uh, so yeah, yeah. There, there, there was a lot of cross pollination there. Uh, I saw things that worked. I, I guess um, the thing that's different. So in fiasco, you have objects, needs, locations, and uh, what's the fourth one? Objects. I think it's relationships, needs, right? Locations and relationships, right? Uh, yeah. So the the one that's a little different is um, needs, which is a very right. direct. Uh, an actionable thing that you would not really want to bring into an improv scene uh, at the outset, uh, but that for gaming is critical. So yeah, a little. Uh, there was definitely a lot of uh, a lot of uh, inspiration and, and cross pollination there. That was at, the, at that time when I was developing it. I was doing a lot of improv. Fascinating. Fascinating. Was that was that new at that point? Like how far in advance of Fiasco had you started taking improv? Boy, I don't know the timeline. Um, a year, maybe. But maybe a couple seems of pretty, years. Seems like it was pretty fresh. Yeah. We, uh, uh, I, I went through a an improv sequence ending with, uh, do you want to join the cult? Do you want to be on, be on a house team? Uh, and uh, I was like, no, I, I don't want to do that. Thank you. Uh, and the, uh, that particular uh, studio had a competitive night where teams would compete and the audience would decide who won, called Cage Match. And then I, uh, friends and I formed a Cage Match team and we competed and kicked ass for a long time after that. So, so that I kept in the game for a while doing that. I'll say that most of, uh, most of my friends uh, here in New York that I game with uh, are uh, improv improvers who have done cage match sometimes very successfully expert cage match uh competitors here in new york actually and of course you know covid came and largely cleared out uh the venues in particular uh, ucb left new york entirely um but uh, i almost play almost exclusively uh here in new york with people who are uh improv uh cage match uh <laughs> champion right it's gonna so be I, fun. I, I totally I totally hear that. Um, and I will confess, I will, I will confess, I probably shouldn't say this on camera, but I will confess that the, uh, I, I took the, uh, when I took the, the sequence at the place that I was taking it here this summer in New York, uh, we got to the end and I said to myself, Dan, you're not going to propose uh, forming a team. Don't, you're not going to propose forming a team. If someone else does it, you're going to jump on it. But don't, don't be, I'm, you're not going to be the person who proposes it because you already have enough things on your plate. 
Um, so I totally, and I will say me being the last person, right? Me being the last person, my cycle to my circle to do that. Uh, I, I, the reason I did that was specifically, I was seeing all my friends have a great time in these cage matches actually, which is mm -hmm. as, as someone who's highly competitive and I enjoy role playing, I was like, yeah, that is absolutely dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> It was a good time. We did our, uh, we, we specialized in the bat, which is a, a herald in the dark. That was our format. Uh, oh, and we did wow. very well. We did very well with that. So it was like radio wow. theater kind of a thing. It was good. It was very good. Now, I don't know what Monkeys on the Moon is. You want to tell me what that is, actually? Oh, that I have not seen. It means seen. When, you can, when you thoughtlessly heighten the scene to the point where it becomes absurd. That's, that's Monkeys on the Moon. Uh, it, so like you say one thing and then I, I up the game and suddenly we're spacemen and then you're like, and we're on the moon and we're monkeys. Did I mention that? And then we have to be monkeys. <laughs> and it's just no fun. It's not, um, it's, you know, it's not good improv because you've, you've gone too far. There's a point at which you need to work, work with what you got rather than continue to build. Yep. 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 Uh, let me let me uh, let me shift the conversation here a little bit. I want to I want to pick on earlier when we were talking about desperation. You mentioned that it was a great game for players new to role playing, and I, I specifically want to relate that back to because Dan and I have had a lot of conversations about whether or not Fiasco is a great game for people who have never role played or not. And we've actually gone back and forth on this, and I don't I don't know that we've ever con conclusively yeah. answered the question. Um, yeah. So I'd love to hear your, I mean, before we, we pollute your mind with our, our uh, crazy uh, ideas back and forth, Jason, I'd love to hear your yeah. thoughts. Okay. Our, well, our so desperation and fiasco, uh, which are great. Let's talk about fiasco. Let's talk about fiasco. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it is often used as a gateway drug for role playing. And, uh, and sometimes that is the right tool for the job. Uh, it, it depends a lot on who's presenting it uh, and who the, the, the players are. Uh, so if someone's new to role playing and they're absolutely comfortable with being creative on the spot, right? So your improv buddies, Fiasco is a real good gateway drug. Um, but if someone is not uh, comfortable in that setting, then it's probably not a great gateway drug because what they're gonna see is a group of people who are very comfortable with that set of skills and their skills uh, and then the spotlight's going to turn to them and, and the expectation is that they're going to perform in the moment, extempore, spontaneously, and that's just no fun. That can be a real challenge. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think it's, it's a great game for people who are new to it, new to role-playing. If, if they're the right people and they're in a supportive group of uh, friends who recognize that, that they have those skills already or that they have those skills good enough, uh, for other people who don't have those skills, which is most people, it's probably not not the greatest uh, choice. And there are other games that are going to be better. Maybe games that are a little more structured uh, that allow them to uh, take some time to think about their creative contributions, um, uh, organize play in a way that gives them space to, to do that or gives them a, a chance to control their voice, to, to say, well, I'm more comfortable in an author stance. I'm just going to describe what my character does. And that's the the limit of their role playing, which is totally fine. Um, so yeah, so do you, do you my, think, uh, yeah. Do, so do you think des does desperation fit that niche, or is it more similar to yeah. fiasco? In that no, no, no. Yeah. Desperation is much more oh. ecumenical about how it welcomes you into the game, because yeah. your your involvement 
at, at a at a minimum is uh, you get a card. Here's the, here's the card it's from In Boats, which is in the middle of the game, and this card is called the Abyss. All right, and on the card there's some text, and the absolute minimum that the game asks of you is that you read the card on that text, and if it asks you to make a decision, that you make that decision. So on this card, I would read it. It says choose somebody who drowns. And I'd be like, I read it, and I think Officer Brown is the one who dies. My turn is done. I've done everything the game requires of me. Everyone else can fill in whatever fiction or emotional detail they want, but I've done what I need. In contrast, if I'm Jason, I'm going to go nuts with that, right? I'm going to read that as, as Lieutenant Brown, and I'm going to describe, and then go, go on to describe Lieutenant Brown's feelings as he falls off the boat and drowns, you know? And, and I can absolutely do that. Or I can be like, Paul, let's have a scene right before uh, he falls off the boat. You be Holmes. I'm going to be Brown, and let's have a last argument, like a last lover's spot before I fall over the rail. And, you know, like, and that's totally fine too. It's, mm -hmm. it, and the game accommodates both of those. I don't think Fiasco is great at that. Um, I think Fiasco is great at, at the Jason end of that, but not at the read the card end of it. If that makes sense. I agree with Jason's thesis about fiasco, actually. That's very persuasive to me. And Paul, you bad mouthing that argument and Jason's position. I'm sick of hearing it and I don't want to hear that anymore. <laughs> okay, okay. It sounds like there's well, something I happening mean, here that I'm not aware of. No, I mean, to be fair, you know, the, the counterpoint, of course, is our own experience. If you look back, if you go back to that July game, uh, you will see my partner, Tanya, appear in, in the game with us. Um, she had played Fiasco once or twice before then. Um, and prior to that, had played some 5th edition D&D. &D. And she was really lukewarm, frankly, on the 5th edition D&D. &D. And, and when we brought her into Fiasco, she was like, yes, this is, this is what's going to pull me in. This is it. Awesome, um, and, and I'm, I'm so yeah. glad to hear that. And and that that contrast sometimes is persuasive too, because uh, if you're exposed to something that that is represented as role playing, and you can't get more representative than fifth edition at this point, right? And it doesn't hit. Uh, seeing a game that does things differently is often very refreshing, and that can go in both directions. But yeah. but uh, yeah. yes, Fiasco is a, a really good antidote to the things that she probably was not comfortable with in fifth edition. Right. Right. right, but I think you're you're absolutely right. That there are personality types that's going to appeal to and not appeal to, um, and I I could I could totally I could totally get behind that. Yeah, um, and I'm I'm just super reluctant to be like it's the gateway game for everybody. Everybody should should use it as a as the way to get people into role playing because you're just you can have a bad time. It's possible, you know. Yeah, uh, and yeah. and you can give someone the wrong impression of what the whole activity is about. Uh, so you know, like just use it use it thoughtfully. Use any game thoughtfully, you know? Yeah. You know, let me run Let me run this sort of question or review. And, of course, Paul and I go back and forth about everything. So, of course, I'm, I'm joking entirely about, about uh, anything I say bad about Paul. Um, the the and, and this actually kind of feeds into, like, the, my biggest struggle that I had in improv, actually, is my, like, like my biggest struggle in improv, and, and Jason and I beforehand were talking about we, we both got pinged by instructors as we got into scenes and had major conflict happening. And the instructor said, no, we want to you know, roll this back and try to actually find a place where you can work together in the scene, um, which was a, a lesson that many of us have to hear, particularly fantasy role players. But the thing that I had the biggest trouble with 
was the expectation that you're giving information about other characters in improv mm -hmm. was what I was yeah. taught. I'm not just in control of myself, but I'm also making up history and personality and needs about the other people in mm -hmm. the scene. And that's considered to be beneficial and gift giving and giving the other people more to work with. And so looking at looking at your games, uh, your, your game career, Jason, of course, you want one common thread is that you make games that are GMless. And of course, at one point, you've you've written articles specifically about that, like your old article beyond the game master. Um, and my thesis, my, my instinct has been that for new players, I would expect a GMless game to be or as, as Paul tends to say, they, t they tend to wind up being GM full games where kind of everybody's yeah, the GM course, to a certain yeah. extent. And my initial expectation is that that would put more burden on a new player is that they're not just where, whereas like classic D&D type, you got one character, you're in their brain, I, the DM, I'm going to tell you what the world is and you're going to make decisions for that one character. And that seems fairly uh, focused. And if everybody, if new players come in and you have to control the whole world and your character and other characters, to me, that would seem like more of a burden. But um, not everybody agrees with that. Whereas, what is your thinking about, you, why GMless games, Jason? Why, why, did, why did you do that? <laughs> okay. Why did you do that to us? Why? Yeah, I think I disagree a little bit with your, with your thesis there, that, um, that it's easier to have the GM just tell you what's going on and then you react to it. That's a deeply weird dynamic. It's a weird power dynamic. It's a, it's a weird credibility dynamic. It's not natural. That's not how we behave as people. Uh, and I think everybody's had the experience with new players where, uh, you know, they become authors, right? You say, all right, you're, you're meeting in a tavern and a new, a brand new player's like, yeah, and there's a goblin there and he's selling me something for a bag of beans. And, and you have to be like, well, no, 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 that's not how it works. That's not how the game works. You don't get to tell me that there's a goblin with a bag of magic beans. That's my job as the GM, right? Uh, and, and that uh, initial enthusiasm is instantly killed. Uh, and, and I think that, that that is an unnatural arrangement. I think sometimes that's the best arrangement uh, and the game will tell you as you design it whether that's the best arrangement or not. But in many cases, it isn't. Uh, in many cases, uh, something where everybody has equal authority, uh, equal credibility around the table to, to add uh, creative elements uh, is a better arrangement, a more natural arrangement that, that people understand and are comfortable with. And the, the thing that uh, often is a light bulb moment or a moment of enthusiasm for people who, like, like the example you gave of coming from 5e, the fiasco, where they're like, this is it. It's that. It's the fact that they suddenly have the credibility to, to offer creativity, which is an innate human skill. It's something that we all do and we all want to do. And when you apportion that in, in very restrictive ways, uh, that feels unnatural and uncomfortable quite often. So that's, that's one thing that, that, that I will say about that. Oh, you mentioned GM-full versus GM-less, and I totally agree. GM-less is a terrible term. GM-full is a better representation of what we're talking about which is that we're dividing authority and credibility equally or more or less equally around the table and there's a lot of complexities and nuance to that uh, but really we're we're all taking some of that facilitation role on ourselves uh, and we need to respect other people's contributions and just like an improv where we're laying on and giving gifts to each other th those things are important 
uh, and need to be, uh, you know, embraced rather than rejected. Uh, so yeah, I think that's cool. But it, from a design perspective, and thanks for letting me ramble on about this because I care about it a lot. I think a game tells you what it wants to be. Uh, and so like I've written games that have a GM that have a formal facilitator. I've read a lot of games that have a formal facilitator who has very specified roles, the things that they have to do, uh, but that have no other authority beyond that. So like uh, it's your job to get everybody together, make sure that we're playing in a safe and considerate way, explain the rules, and then we're going to play. Well, that person has a different job. Uh, they're facilitating. Uh, they don't have any more authority to say who gets to do what and when. They don't, their creative contributions don't matter more than anybody else's, but, but the role is slightly different. Uh, that's, I think that's a very realistic and convenient model. Fiasco doesn't even have that. It just says there's going to be four of us at the table. We're going to take turns. Uh, the game itself very deliberately doesn't tell you who gets to say what when. It just tells you kind of what has to happen. Uh, and from that, uh, you get this, these emergent properties of play that are very pro-social and very effective. And then, uh, you know, like Night Witches, it's a Powered by the Apocalypse game. There's a GM, and the GM has to do certain things, uh, and they're providing adversity, and that's the right model for that game. Uh, it's the right model for that game in, in an instantiated way, because in Night Witches, it's very explicit that that role should change every session, or every duty station, which is every session or two. But you get a new GM, someone else has to do it, and their character kind of fades out. Uh, for for that duty station, uh, which was what the game told me it needed to be, uh, in that case. Fascinating, fascinating. Now I will I, I will just get a, a a tiny little counterpoint in. Then I am totally convinced that particularly if we're like bringing our improv <laughs> friends into role playing, it, it totally I totally get that we're going to start you know telling the story the way we would expect. I will say that I've never had the experience, like as an old school D and D, I've actually never had the experience of someone who's a non gamer, non performer, come in and expect to be creating the goblins in the inn. Um, Interesting. Like I, 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 my my experience has certainly been completely non gamers, never never knew what role playing was, and they're like, I have just no idea what to do. You're going to have to tell me everything around mm -hmm. me and what you expect me to do because I just don't know. Now maybe that style of gaming is uh on its way out possibly maybe the 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 population of people who have no idea what role playing is and it seems like a secret cult maybe that was something from one or two or three decades ago that isn't going to be the case anymore um but uh but i 100 percent totally get it. if your friends are people who are going to do that yeah it would feel really crappy to to slap back on that uh yeah super interesting uh yeah, and I, and I I don't want to invalidate your experience. I would uh, I would look to the other affordances in that situation, right? Um, maybe there there were other reasons why they didn't initially go to that place. Possibly. And of course, um, now, to be clear, Jason's the the successful game designer. I am not. So if there's if there's a, <laughs> if there's a doubt between us, you should trust what Jason's saying because he has way more experience than I do. Yeah, I wouldn't. I I wouldn't. <laughs> I, I wouldn't make it a call to authority about this because people are weird and people are different and ex everybody has different experiences w with the hobby uh, and comes to comes to it with different expectations. I remember I ran third edition for a group of preteens at a library and uh, the very, f as I just started to set things out for them, 
uh, one young woman said, can I play a lion? I was like, yeah, sure, you can play a lion. And then someone else said, can I play an angel? I was like, of course you can play an angel. And the game went in a real weird direction uh, because <laughs> I disagreed with them. I agreed with what they wanted. There was no, like, there was no percentage in me saying, well, actually, you can be a fighter or a bard. Uh, those are your options. Sorry. Sorry to disappoint you, 12-year-old. You don't get to be a lion. Like, <laughs> what, what possible advantage would that have in that circumstance? Uh, so, um, yeah, I, I, I think that uh, you have to take, take the audience that, that you're presenting this material to for the first time uh, and keep them in mind. Yeah. Cool. Anyway, I, cool. I loved that experience. It was awesome. And they, they were amazing players. So go run D&D at your library, I guess is the message there. Yeah. I, I, I love that you that you catered it to them, frankly. That, I think that's amazing. I mean, that's one of my favorite things. And my excuse for having shelves upon shelves of games at my house is that every group dynamic is different. Even just the same group of people from one day to yeah. the next, they kind of have different sure. tastes. And I love that kind of like, I'm going to, you know, sommelier the uh, game experience to, uh, to, to the players in the moment. What's going to fit that yeah. right now, right? What, like, what's the difference between a lion's claws and a short sword? You know, like the you're still rolling the same dice. It's all fine. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> We're breaking down. <laughs> I love. It. Just I wanna, checking I the database. I want to call out one. Um, we were talking about about um, uh, terminology, right? GMless versus GMful and whatnot. And I just want to call out one other thing that, that struck me that I wanted to compliment you on, Jason, uh, in Fiasco. Uh, how, so I, when I started playing Fiasco, I was using you know the book and the dice and the tables. And now the newer printing of it is is decks of cards and a board instead. Um, and when I, as I've as I've introduced the newer version to uh, to my fellow gamers, uh, one of the things that jumps out is the Let's Not card. And that's new, right? That's that's not in the. This is my next question. Original. Actually, was this? <laughs> right. So it's, it's it's kind of my favorite thing because with experienced gamers, they look at it and they're like, "What's the let's not card?" And I sell them. Well, it's it's X card. I say because they they're familiar with X card and they they know that and they go, "Oh, okay, yeah, I get it, I get it." And then they think for a second, and they go, "Well, that's just such a better term for it." <laughs> like, let's not is brilliant. Why didn't they? Why was an X card originally called let's not? Mm -hmm. Perfect. Mm -hmm. So well done. Kiss Thank you. One. Yeah, we thought a lot about it, right? Uh, we, we had 10 years to see how people played the game and the places it could go. And, and mm -hmm. at that same time, a, a, like a culture of safer play was developing uh, across the hobby. And we were very much uh, a part of that and cognizant of that and promoting that. So, so when we were going to redo it, re re revise it, make a new edition of Fiasco, one of the first things we thought was like, how do we promote safer play in a way that is not intrusive to the core of Fiasco, uh, because Fiasco is a different kind of game, uh, but that also is, is a way for people to demonstrate trust and love with the people at their table and to just be a little bit safer because the game very deliberately can go to pretty dark places uh, and can incorporate material that not everybody's gonna want. Um, and so we were like, well, okay, so the X card is a thing. Uh, we know how that works and we like it, uh, but that's just not, it doesn't have the fiasco feel to it, right? It feels very, uh, it feels very abrupt and kind of, uh, 
prescriptive in a way that we don't necessarily want. So uh, I don't know. I think I came up with let's not, and uh, we tried it out. It worked quite well to to sort of reroute those impulses uh, that that weren't weren't really working for everybody at the table. Uh, and I'm really happy with it. Thanks for noticing. I'm I'm glad that yeah. I'm glad. I, and it's I hope you, nice, you also that. Yeah, yeah. And it's just such a nice way of phrasing that 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 mechanic. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's it's more self-explanatory for new players who've never played yeah. with uh, a mechanic like that. Let's not mm -hmm. just make sense. Whereas X right. card requires a lot more explanation. What is X card? Oh, right. look, here, here's what it means. Yeah, I, <laughs> I totally agree. agree. My part of my beef with X card is that it's a little bit gatekeepy. Now it's it's this cryptic thing, and you're gonna particularly thinking about the completely brand tabula rasa player experience. Here's another technical thing. You got to sit down. And you got to explain what this technical piece of uh, lingo means. Uh, with X card and with let's not, it's kind of you can say you don't want to do something. Let's not says that, and I feel like that's a lot more to me. It feels a lot more welcoming. I could be wrong. Yeah, that's it's interesting. There are there are a lot of tools uh, that that have iterated on the X card. Uh, script change is one of them that that is a little more intuitive because it uses the language of cinema. Let's let's fast forward. Let's pause. Let's rewind, um, and and that can be effective. Uh, I've got my X card pattern down, and I think part of the Part of introducing people to it, because I, I use it routinely, um, is that uh, you model the behavior you want to see in play. So you can give a very brief introduction to it and then immediately X card yourself. And by doing that, uh, you're demonstrating how it's used in play and you're setting the stakes for its use, which are meant to be very, very low. So that's what I do. I, uh, and John Savropoulos uh, encourages this. Uh, part of the pitch is, uh, here's this tool, and I'm more likely to use it on you guys than you are to use it on me. Uh, and I might even use it on myself. Let's find out. And then you start playing and deliberately set up a situation where you're like, oh, yeah, no, you know what? I, I changed my mind. Spiders, no, thank you. I'm going to X card that. Let's move on. Let's change it to cockroaches. Uh, so, Sorry. like, there, there's a, there, that's my suggestion is uh, model that behavior and play right away which reinforces the words you say. And then that also means that the words you say can be a little briefer and a little more uh, casual. Anyway, cool. I could talk for days about this, the safety stuff, if, if that interests you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it does. Let, it me does get enough, let, me, let me get one more Sorry, question I, I, before we run out of time. Yeah, go, go ahead, ahead, Paul. Yeah. No, 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 no. Okay, so so, so the, the question I, the, the other question I really wanted to get in about your career, Jason, is a lot of the times you've written games that are very explicitly about very specific real-world horrible events, right? So you've you've got the Gray Ranks, which is specifically about uh, child soldiers in Warsaw in 1944. You've got Night Witches, which is about Soviet air women in a specific air bomber air wing. You've got, you know, Desperation is about these very specific events. You could, it's a particular year that you're going to point out, 1888. Um, you know, Durance is kind of about colonization. Uh, the, you know, you've got the climb about climbing a, 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 a virgin peak in the Himalayas. And, and just as a little side note, like one of, one of my white whale game design things is I've always wanted uh, a, a, a proper, interesting uh, mountain climbing mini game for D&D. &D. And I, I'm still kind of tweaking on that. So <laughs> I need to kind of dig into the climb to see what you did with that. What, why? Why did you do that? Why are you picking the, what is it about these real world 
horrible events that you that you you want to see them played out at a table like that why did uh, you do that well, to us? Uh, yeah why why jason why why are you <laughs> um so uh I, I feel that um so first of all uh game design is applied art and it's my mode of self-expression it's, it's what i do so if there's something that's bothering me or that i'm that i'm working on in my own life it manifests itself as game design uh that's just a thing and and you can apply that you can look at my games and think about that uh, because it's true uh that the t at the time i was writing night witches i was thinking about totalitarianism uh and i was thinking about resistance to fascism uh and that's like a, the most obvious example but there's you know there's all kinds of uh things that are just going on with me that i need to express so uh that's the mode right game design is how i'm going to do it and history is the place where i'm going to find that inspiration because we're we're really interesting like all kinds of cool amazing things have happened and uh, not to not to tear down fantasy or science fiction because i love them both and have written in both milieus as well but like if i need a story about people who are suffering in a blizzard i can find one in history and the fact that it really happened adds some pathos to it right it, it makes it uh that much more potentially meaningful maybe you'll learn something when you play it um, you know, if I want a story about being trapped behind enemy lines, I live in North Carolina, man. There was a civil war here. Uh, there's a great story about that, and it's it's just down the road for me. So, so that's those two things. That's how those come together. I'm fascinated by history because all the stories we want to tell have already been told, and they're there for the taking. Uh, and uh, I'm choosing these things because they're things I want to talk about. I need to talk about. Not to be too much of an artiste about it, but that's how I feel. Does that answer your question? Yeah, that hits really well. And you know, I you know, even as a as a as a D and D aficionado, I mean, I have always said it. You know, the the even the fantasy game is best when it's talking about something else. When it when it refers to real world stuff. And the the biggest value that I've gotten in my life is when it forces me to go learn real world history in mm -hmm. order to fill fill in something. And uh, you know, as someone that doesn't play a lot of fifth edition and and feels that those newer games are tend to be talking just about themselves sort of and if i go back to you know for me original dnd there's a lot more references to outside literature and outside history and things like that and i feel it's you know even that is better when it's talking about you know real world stuff outside itself so i mean that's i'm an easy sell on what you just said it makes a lot of sense Great. We are we are just about out of time here. Jason, is there anything about Desperation or your other works that you wanted to make sure that we got to mention before our time is up? I'm really happy that we got to talk about it in so much detail. I'm so excited about Desperation in particular, uh, but all my games. I, I just love them, and uh, I still love to play them. If you see me at a convention in some imaginary future where we have conventions safely, uh, I would love to play with you. Uh, so, like... Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm very happy with this conversation. I think we've uh, we hit all the all the big points. We have a Patreon, and I shill my Patreon. Yes, you mentioned please. that I was I was prolific, and uh, I just want to say that we're releasing a game a month on the Patreon. Uh, so, like, if you like my work, uh, then just join because we're doing cr crazy stuff. And there's you know there's small focused games, but but uh, like. I'm productive. I'm doing all kinds of interesting stuff. We just released a game 
uh, called the Emperor's uh, Emperor's Retreat, which is it's uh, it's about the uh, the death of Peter the Third of Russia, but it's in 1768. But it takes place in space, uh, and uh, it's a gigantic LARP that you can play in your local park uh, about the death of Peter the Third. Space czar, wow. I guess it would be. So, uh, like, and that's just that's what we did last month. This month, uh, Bully Puppet's intern wrote a game for us, and uh, we're going to be sharing her game. I'm so excited about getting that in front of people. Uh, there's always something fun and cool on our Patreon. Amazing. And that's at uh, patreon.com slash games. am I right? That's it. That does. Awesome. People should go there. Definitely. definitely Amazing. Amazing. Game a month. Game a month. That's, that's, that's mind-blowing. Like that, is, that is a lot. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. Fantastic. This has um, been fun. Do we have a minute or two to, to fill here? Uh, sure. Sure. What's up? Just, What's what on your you mind? Guys, what are you guys playing? What are you playing right now? Oh wow! Yeah, you, uh, you wanna you wanna jump? Okay, in? we you know we 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 uh, admittedly we 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 I think Paul and I both wish that we actually were running more games ourselves. I'm always focused on uh, original D and D stuff uh, mm -hmm. myself, so I'm you know working on subsystems. And actually, one of our viewers right now is taking my um, uh, set of rules for D and D and has expanded actually that I'm going to release. Uh, and then with a couple of friends, the other every other week. Uh, we've been playing Quest a lot, um, mm -hmm. and then uh, and then actually just Friday night I started in on a game of uh, the twenty four hundred system with. Oh um, yeah, yeah, okay. Don't I think I think we previously on the show we were playing twenty four hundred Cyberpunk, whatever it's called, and then offline we started playing twenty four hundred Zone. So I like these old. I personally like these old wargaming type systems, and then mm -hmm. you know a lot of maybe our younger friends. You know, like more lightweight systems, and I'm, you know, they run great games, and I'm happy to pitch in. Um, personally, I've been I've been playing a bunch of different stuff. Thank you, Stephen Wendell, for reminding me to pitch my own <laughs> stuff. Uh, I, I, I have a game called Fearful Ends that I'm developing and running a lot. Uh, it is a game, uh, a horror setting game that attempts to incorporate uh, mental and emotional collapse in a way that is still sensitive to real world uh, mental illness. Um, so. Uh, that that is in development, fearfullens.com, uh, um, and then uh, I'm uh, yeah. Also uh, on the side, recently, uh, kind of low key, trying to plan out uh, a future uh, session or three of uh, thirsty sword lesbians, which is a uh, fantastic, uh, fantastic game. That's um, that's I think uh, fairly improv heavier at least the way i've played it i've i've only played it and not run it before which is why i say i'm kind of uh you know in the process i think of wrapping my head around how would i run this myself i gotta so, say you know uh, paul's system is really fantastic you know paul so paul what, paul's run horror games for a number of years and we used to call what he does paul thulu before we pick the fearful <laughs> ends name and i gotta say my the the, the single top role-playing experience i have ever had was was playing with paul in that system he's developed and i was i was That's blown away so by cool. one of the sessions that he did it was amazing yeah i'd love to see it paul yeah yeah for sure i'm happy to i mean i'd love for you to see it i'd love your feedback yeah <laughs> yeah great, great. And, uh, I'm, uh, I'm running uh, the black hack for my friends uh they stole a fire giant's mole machine and uh, all hell is broken loose, literally and figuratively. 
that's what I'm doing. Well, that's amazing. amazing. I've heard good things about Black Hack. It's, uh, that that's a, that's I feel like uh, I feel like that and um, uh, Mork 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 Pork. Am I saying it right? Morkberg? Morkberg? Yeah. I can't remember. Uh, it's another kind of. You know what you're talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Uh, on my on my radar stuff, I need to dig into. Anyway, okay, we are we are definitely out of time. So <laughs> I want to say, uh, uh, folks, if you want to check out Desperation, um, please see the link here in the comments uh, on the description of our YouTube video. Um, there should be uh, some good information there about how to get your hands on a copy, um, as well as further links, I'm sure, to uh, Jason's other work and, and uh, Bully Pulpit, and et cetera. So please definitely check out the comments there. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, give, us, give us your thoughts. If you managed to play it by the time you're watching this, tell us what you think. Uh, tell us about your experience. We'd, we'd love to hear it. Mork Bork is what Stephen Wendell is telling me is the name I'm trying to... There you go. Spit out and failing. Um, anyway, good one, Stephen. Uh, and uh, yeah. you know, leave a comment on the the GM full versus GM less uh, debate, or new <laughs> players versus old players, or improv versus non improv. We want to hear about all that. And of course, remember that you can like, follow, and subscribe to us, the Wandering DMs. We're on YouTube and Twitch and Twitter and Facebook and GitHub uh, and TikTok. And we do have the handle Wandering DMs on all those sites. So look for this there, and you'll get updates on upcoming shows with great guests. Like Jason Morningstar. Absolutely. If you prefer to listen to these shows in audio-only podcast format, you can get those podcasts on our website at wanderingdms.com. Also through all your favorite podcast carriers, such as iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and Stitcher, and uh, all those all those places. If you are listening to this show at one of those sites right now, please stop and take a moment to rate and review us on that site. That helps uh, other users of that site find our show, and we really appreciate it. Yeah, we really do. And of course, big thanks to our patrons who support the Wandering DMs. If you'd like to join them, please visit patreon.com slash wandering DMs, and you'll see the different tiers that we have, uh, upcoming promotions we're going to have, and access to our Discord server. In particular, uh, we have uh, after-party chat after every Sunday show that we do. So in about 10 minutes, Paul and I will be on our Discord server to continue the conversation with live uh, video chat with our viewers. It's always a good time. And I mean, while you're on patreon.com, go over to Bully Pulpit Games and join that too and get a, get a, a new monthly game from Jason every month is what you should do. Um, so I don't know how they do it. Anyway, uh, uh, Jason, thank you so much for making time out of your uh, your busy week for us today. This was a great My conversation. This, is, this was great. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Awesome. That's the best. Don't forget, we are live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time, so we hope that you'll join us again next week for another thought-provoking discussion. We'll see you then. Bye, everyone. Bye.